A few weeks ago, I was driving around and got into a, a minor fender bender. My car got a little bit banged up. And I really didn't feel like driving around in that condition. So I called the insurance company and I arranged to have a rental car. The rental car company calls me and they said, hey, we've got a car for you today if you can get here by 3 o'clock. I'm like, okay, I can do that. But it wasn't enough time for me to walk or arrange something else, so I, I got an Uber. And the Uber shows up and the, the nice older lady picks me up. And as we're driving along, uh, it's just one of those pleasant conversations with somebody that you're only going to see once. And she's telling me about how much she loves driving for Uber and all the interesting people she gets to meet. And she said something, she's like, I just love being able to use my car to help people get where they're going. And I'm like, that's great. You know, she's got a purpose for her driving. She has a purpose for it. In our parlance, she is for her riders. Well, she takes me to the rental car company. I get out, I go into the counter and um, I was waiting on another guy and then it was my turn to get up there. And the first thing he says is, can I scan your license? I go to reach in my pocket. I'm like, oh, I don't have my wallet. And they can't do anything without my driver's license. And I'm like, did I forget it? What happened? No, I realized I left it in the Uber. Now I'm in real trouble because who knows if she's got another fare already, if she's taken off in the complete opposite direction. I have no idea what I'm going to do. So finally... I managed to get a hold of her on the phone. I said, I think I left my wallet in your car. And she's like, I'm picking up someone. I'm headed back into Lancaster. I'll be there. She was there within five minutes with my wallet. And I got to breathe a sigh of relief because that could have gone very badly and I could have been there for hours. And neither me nor the rental car company wanted that. But it was this moment where she talked to me on the ride about basically being for her riders. And then, just a few minutes later, she got the opportunity to demonstrate whether or not that was true. And she passed that test with flying colors. She had the opportunity to say that she was for her riders. It's easy for us to say that we are for the world. But would our world say that we are for them? And that's what we want to talk about a little bit today being for your world. And we use that phrase very specifically, for your world. See, for the world is big. It's an amorphous term. It doesn't necessarily mean much. But for your world is much more specific. So that's where we're going to start today. What does it mean to be for your world? Who is your world? So we're going to do a little demonstration that's going to help you crystallize what it means to be for your world. You should have received a a card on your way in if you're here in person. If you're with us online, you can do this exercise too. Just grab any piece of paper or pencil or anything like that that you can write on and you can do this. So this is going to help us define who our world is. See, these circles represent people in different aspects of your life. Your work and school, neighborhood, family, hobby, other random categories. And in each one of these spheres in your life, you encounter people on a regular basis. 
Sometimes they're just encounters. Sometimes they're, they're friendships or acquaintances. But you encounter people in every single one of these spheres. So as we go through this, I want you to be thinking about people in your life who are in this and just jot down names in each one of these spheres. Jot them down as we're, as we're going through this exercise. So we have work, neighborhood, family, hobby, and others. I mean, it could be any, the other could be anything. Um, for me, this is what my chart looks like. And you can be filling out your chart while I go through this. Work. Obviously, I work with the other staff members. So the other staff members are my coworkers. They're in my circle of work. I could even extend that out to some of you volunteers as well if I wanted to. My neighborhood. Who's around me? Well, the people in my apartment building are around me. There's Barry, who I encounter on the front step on a regular basis, and we have short, good conversations about how he's doing, how his health is. Justin, who's another guy I've gotten to know, I encounter him a lot on one of our rooftop decks. Tito, who can usually be seen walking shirtless back and forth from the laundry room. He's, a, he's an interesting character. I like Tito. And then there's Elil, who actually works in the rental office in the building. So for him, that's a workplace, but he works in my building, so he's my neighbor. Family. Now, when you go to the family one, think of somebody outside your, your immediate household. Obviously, the people you live with are in your circle. But who are your family that are outside that? So for me, I included my brother and his wife, my brother-in-law and his wife, and some of my cousins that I encounter on a somewhat regular basis. Hobbies. For me, I go to the gym and I play soccer, amongst other things. So I have members of my soccer team and people who go to my gym. I encounter them on a regular basis. What about other? The other category can be anything. Maybe you're a parent in a parent organization. Uh, maybe it's just one-off encounters like uh, the dentist or your doctor or the person who's ringing up your groceries or your barista at the coffee shop, whoever they are. I even put the Swedish guys on there. There's a nice Swedish candy store downtown. It's always the same guys who work there. So I have a conversation with those guys every time I go in there, which my wife thinks is too often. But these are all the people in my world. This is my world. What does your world look like? Write down names of people in your world. So when we say we want you to be for your world, this, in part, is who we're talking about. This is just an exercise. It's a tool to help you visualize all of the people within your world. So when we talk about the rest of this and being for your world, I want you to picture the people on your list. Each of you has unique spheres of influence. Each of you has unique opportunities to demonstrate to the people on your list that you are for them. Now, as you look over the list, as you're working on it, Ask yourself these questions. Am I for these people? Am I really for these people? And then ask this. Would these people say that I am for them? What would they think about it? All right. What does it actually look like to be for your world? What does it look like? Well, let's take an example from some of our early church leaders and see what we can learn from them. So we're going to jump into Acts chapter 16. 
We're going to be in Acts chapter 16. We're going to be starting at verse 25. This is Paul and Silas in prison. Now, a little bit of background information on this. Paul and Silas are on one of their missionary journeys. And in one of the cities they were in, they're walking around the town. And this woman who is using an evil spirit to tell fortunes starts following them around, shouting about them. She's just following them around everywhere they go, shouting about them. Now, if it were me, I'd be super annoyed with this. And Paul was super annoyed with this. It actually says in the scripture, Paul was annoyed. So Paul, in his annoyance, turns around and in the name of Jesus, casts out the evil spirit in this woman. The problem was, the owners of this woman were not very happy. See, they were using her as a source of income. And now, that income is gone. So the owners drag Paul and Silas in front of the magistrates and start talking all kinds of junk about them. And there's other people hanging around, so they stir up those other people, and all the crowd just starts going against Paul and Silas. The magistrates then decide, you know what we're going to do? We're going to throw Paul and Silas into jail, but first we're going to beat them with rods. Not exactly a great outcome. And that's where our story picks up. In verse 25, it says this, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. All at once, the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. So, Paul and Silas are locked up in prison, unjustly, as it were after being beaten with rods. And how do they act? They're singing and they're praising God and they're praying to him in the middle of the night. And then an earthquake hits. This violent earthquake hits the prison. Everyone's chains come loose. The prison doors swing wide open. It's a miracle. God has supernaturally delivered them. He's intervened on their behalf. God steps in and corrects this injustice. The chains are loose. The prison doors are hanging wide open. It's a clear path out. They're free. They're free to go back to their ministry, to spread the word of Jesus everywhere. What more could they have asked for? It was everything they could have wished for. It's a clear sign from God, right? But they don't leave. They don't leave. Why don't they leave? This is their moment. I mean, what more could you possibly ask for? But this is the part of the story where we get a glimpse of what being for your world is like. Verse 27. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Why didn't they leave? The jailer. In that moment, they were thinking about the jailer. The jailer wakes up. He sees the prison doors open, and he knows it's over. He was specifically ordered to keep a close guard on Paul and Silas. And when he sees the doors open, he, like every other sane person, would just assume the prisoners are gone. And he knew what his fate would be if his higher-ups realized his failure. 
It would have meant a very painful death. So he knew in that moment that his life was over. And he'd rather end it on his own terms than go to face what was coming for him. So he draws his sword and he prepares to kill himself. And Paul intervenes. Paul intervenes and he says this. Paul shouted, do not harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights and rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Paul intervenes. He says, we're all still here. Paul and Silas stayed. And miracle of miracles, the rest of the prisoners stayed too. Why did they stay? Because they were for their world. And in that moment, that meant being for the jailer. See, it would have been the easiest thing in the world to walk out and to not give a second thought about their captor. But when you're for the people in your world, you think differently. When you're for the people in the world, something shifts in your mindset. When you become for the people in your life, it changes your perspective about them. And it changes the nature of the relationship you have. You begin to see the world differently. You begin to look at everyday, ordinary situations differently. You begin to see the people around you differently. You become less focused on yourself, more focused on others. Your mission becomes their thriving. And that's a big deal. Now as a result of living out being for their world, Paul and Silas got the chance to be a part of a family turning to Jesus. Verse 30, the jailer brings Paul and Silas out and he asks them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. Now, can you imagine a more dramatic shift in the fate of a family in just a few minutes than this? The jailer was about to kill himself. That family would have lost a husband, a father, an employer. Who knows what untold devastation would have happened as a result of that action. But now, now they're finding new life in Jesus. All because Paul and Silas were for their world. So how do we become for our world? There's several things that we can do to help out, that can help us make that mindset shift. The first thing we need to do is we need to see the people in our world. We need to see the people in our world, and we need to see them how God sees them. Not as transactions, like we talked about a few weeks ago. Not as people to be used. Certainly not as indifferent, where we just walk past them, or they're just in our lives and we don't seem to care. And not as enemies. It would have been very, very easy for Paul and Silas to view the jailer as their enemy in that moment. It would have been very easy for him to do that. But they didn't. And this is tough for us sometimes. What about you? Do you have a tendency to see the people in your life as an enemy? 
what we need to do is we need to see people as immensely valued and loved by God. That's who they are. We need to shift our mindset to see people in that manner. The second thing we need to do is we need to actually live out what we say. If we're going to say we're for people, we actually have to live that out. Have you ever wondered in this story, why was it that the first thing the jailer does when he comes in and he sees everyone still there, he asks Paul and Silas, what must I do to be saved? Have you wondered why the other prisoners stayed? Maybe it had to do something with the way Paul and Silas were behaving that night. Think about it. They were unjustly imprisoned and beaten. And they're spending their time in prison singing hymns, praising God, praying to God, and everyone is listening. Then when the earthquake strikes and the chains fall loose and the doors come open, they make the choice to be for the jailer and stay. In that moment, they backed up what they were singing and what they were praying with action. And that bought them tremendous amounts of credibility with the other prisoners and with the jailer. We don't just get to say that we are for people. We actually have to do things to show other people that we are for them. So what does this look like in practice? What does it look like? Now, this is the fun part. This is where we get to talk about examples of where this has occurred and how this has occurred and what we can do. There's two kind of ways that this happens. One are opportunities that we plan. The other one is opportunities that present themselves to us. Opportunities we plan. Practical, proactive, intentional actions that we undertake to show people that we are for them. So I'm going to give you a wide variety of examples from different aspects of life. What about business examples? How how have we seen this in the realm of business? The Ritz-Carlton is known for having excellent customer service. One of the things that they do is they observe their guests and they make shifts in their guests intentionally to help them out. So there's a story where a guy uh, had a hotel room. The maid came in and saw that he'd picked the nuts out of the cookies that they were providing and thrown them in the trash. The maid observed this and said, you know what, here's what we're going to do. She tells the chef the next day that guy has cookies without nuts in. They also did away with checkout times. You don't have the early checkout times. You don't have to worry about that. You can relax, sleep in. There's another restaurant well-known for customer service who their waitresses remember and observe any preferences in their customers and then they have a database in their computer system to log that so the next time that person comes to the restaurant they're proactive about it the falcons atlanta falcon stadium charges normal everyday prices for their concessions that's a big deal right there but it's, it's not just something like that. It can be a personal example. I know someone who really, really wanted to show that they were for the people they played basketball with. They had no idea what to do. And so they just came up with the simple idea of, I'll bring a little cooler of Gatorade, and then I'll just hand out Gatorades to the people I'm playing basketball with. And sometimes it's a little bit bigger. A former church of mine, uh, a woman had started coming to the church. And not long after, we found out that her husband was in prison and that he would be getting out in a few months. 
And she was very concerned because she didn't have adequate housing. And there's all sorts of challenges when you're coming out of prison. So this church decided, we're going to step in and we're going to say, we're going to be for this couple. They found her an adequate apartment and paid for the first couple months of rent. On top of that, they managed to furnish the apartment, some through donations, some things they went out and purchased. And one of the guys in the church owned a business, and through his business connections, he arranged for the guy to have a job upon coming out of prison. Can you imagine what that would have been like? All the challenges that you come out of prison, and then you have rent paid for, you have a furnished apartment, and you have a job waiting for you. It's an opportunity to be for someone. But it doesn't have to be big. Think about what it could be. You could mow someone's yard. You could bake muffins and hand them out. Offer to babysit. Give an abnormally large tip at a restaurant. Invite someone over for a meal. Attend someone's concert, recital, art show. There's all kinds of possibilities. What do they all have in common? They make people feel seen, cared for, valued, loved by God. Those are the opportunities we initiate. But there are more opportunities. Opportunities that just present themselves to us. These are opportunities we don't seek. But if we're paying attention, they give us the chance to show that we're for others. A few years ago, my family moved and we finally had a basement. And we decided we were getting a ping pong table. So we went to Kmart. This, was, this tells you how old it was. It was Kmart. Uh, we went to Kmart. We bought a ping pong table. And we get it out. The, the worker brings it out on the cart. And we get it to our van. And we realize, oh, this is not going to fit. We thought it was going to fit. It's not going to fit. So we all stand there for a couple minutes trying to figure out what to do. All of a sudden, the employee, who was no more than like 18 or 19, just gets this light bulb moment. He's like, hey, I've got a pickup truck. I could take it to your house. And we're like, hey, that's great. That sounds awesome. He's like, let me go check with my manager. He literally goes sprinting back into the store to check with his manager. He gets all excited. And he comes flying back out. He's like, yeah, I could do it. Let me get my truck. So he pulls up his truck. We load the ping pong table in the back of his truck. He delivers it to our house. He didn't seek that opportunity. It just presented himself. And in the moment, he's like, I'll do it. Let's do it. Back to the Ritz-Carlton. One of the things they do is they empower their employees with the ability to take care of people's problems, up to even $2,000. So a woman comes in all distraught because she lost her ring on the beach on her honeymoon. And they spend some time looking in the sand and they can't find it. So the employees decide, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go out and buy metal detectors and spend the night combing the beach for this ring. They found it and were able to present it to her the next day. Something that just came up and they took advantage of it. One time when I was at youth group, uh, it was just us youth in the, in the church and some guy comes walking in and we're like, who are you? I've never seen you before. Turns out his battery is dead and he's in our parking lot. So we have the opportunity. A couple of us went out, stopped youth group right in the middle of youth group, went out, jumped his car, sent him on his way. Couldn't have planned on that. 
I had another one that, that happened to me this past week. Uh, I was in the drive through line for Dunkin' Donuts getting ready to pick up some gift cards for the church. And I get up to the, the order box and uh, I tell them I want gift cards and I said, yeah, yeah, just tell them at the window. They're long line. If you've seen the Dunkin' lines, they're super long. And I get up to the window and the very frazzled woman starts trying to hand me a meal. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I, ju- I just want gift cards. Oh, okay. She's scrambling around. She gets my gift cards. She swipes the card and she goes to hand me the receipt back. And she's like, oh no, I charged you for the meal of the person behind you. And she looks all distraught, and she, you could tell, like, she's just at her wit's end. And she's like, I'm going to have to go and, and redo this transaction, and this is just going to take time. I'm going to continue getting backed up. And I thought, you know what, in the moment, here, let's do this. Leave it on there. We'll pay for it. It's fine. Then you don't have to do the transaction. We can bless the person behind us in line. Just tell them Crossroads says, have a good day. So I haven't turned that receipt in yet, Bernie, so that's the explanation, <laughs> just in case you're wondering. But that's a two-for-one. I get a chance to you know, make her life a little less stressful, and we bless the person behind us in line. But you can't plan for that stuff. And sometimes the spontaneous stuff is the most fun. And if we're intentional, and if we're paying attention, we can get there. But I think if we're not doing the intentional ones, we have a tendency to miss the ones that come up. And what happens when we start doing this? Something strange happens. Our world starts becoming for us. And we see this back in the story with Paul Silas and the jailer. Acts 16.33. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately, he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house set a meal before them, and they were filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, him and his whole family. When you become for the people in your life, it changes your perspective about them, and it changes the nature of the relationship. The jailer all of a sudden brings them into his house, puts a meal before them, cleans up their wounds. This is now VIP prison treatment. When you become for your world, you will be surprised at the ways in which the people in your world end up becoming for you. They become your ambassadors. They become your champions. And they step in in those moments for you. So in summary, what are we supposed to do? Identify the people in your world. Shift your mindset to being about them. Look for ways to be for your world. And watch for the results. So that's what I want you to do this week. Do something this week to intentionally show that you're for someone on your list. There's an opportunity to check that off on your connection card. That's what I want you to do. Take a moment and do that for someone on your list. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you today and we just thank you for how you see us, for how you value us, that you are for us. Help us to turn around and show the people in our world that we are for them. Help us to see who the people in our world are. Not just people we pass by, not just people we interact with, but people we have the opportunity 
to show that they are loved, that they are cared for, that they are valued in small ways, in large ways. And God, I know this is a challenge for some of us. We're not used to thinking in this manner. But just like every muscle needs to be exercised to get stronger, doing this for our friends, our neighbors, those in our spheres, the more we do it, the better we'll get at it. The more ideas we'll come up with. God, help us to be willing to share that. And to be for the people in our worlds this week. In your name, amen.